wherever you are, love is. And I dare you to step into your own courage, your own definition of dignity, and invite love in and get acquainted with it on your terms. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I have an extraordinary guest to share with you today with such a powerful story. Her name is Regina Louise. She's the author of Permission Granted and her best-selling memoirs, Somebody, Someone, and Someone Has Led This Child to Believe, were made into the award-winning Lifetime movie, I Am Somebody's Child, the Regina Louise story, which was nominated for the 2020 NAACP Award for Best Director, a summa cum laude graduate of the California Institute of Integral Studies with a master's degree. Regina is a Hoffman Process teacher, workshop facilitator, and has been featured in many, many, many media outlets, including NPR's All Things Considered, Good Morning America, The CBS Show, BBC, and many others. Regina, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you. It's wonderful to be here with you, Dr. Richard. Thank you. Absolutely. So I want to begin, and, and I do this with everybody who comes on the show, but yours is particularly powerful. We talked a little bit off air, and I'm excited for you to share the power of your story with our listeners. So we'll get into the book in a bit, but let's let's go through it. Let's talk about your upbringing, and some of the things that you experience. Mm, right. So for those people who know me, they know that I managed to survive 30 foster home failed placements. And I spent the greater part of my adolescence in solitary confinement. And the only thing that helps to dignify that for me is to know that Nelson Mandela and I occupied our respective selves at the same time. I was a child, however, and he was well into his 40s, you know, and it's just amazing how I can look back now as an adult and I can see the treachery, if you will, of what it was to live a life of such profound trauma. I did not know that the experiences I encountered were traumatic, but I now as an adult can look back and see that 
every single experience with the exception of, of, of meeting a woman in my life who eventually resurfaced in my life. But in between meeting, before meeting the woman, meeting the woman, and then it being estranged from that person for nearly 30 years, in all of that time though, the, the, the traumas, the compounded traumas, the unrelenting assaults against my sovereignty, against my spirit, and then how those traumas, not so different than internalized oppression, you know, the, the after effects of that. And, you know, who is the Oz behind the curtain of my own existence? So I've had to learn to, to become aware of all of that. And I lived in residential, level 14 residential treatment centers, medicated. It's really amazing how right now, Britney Spears is going through this conservatorship that was put into place on behalf of her father against her sovereign being. And this morning I read how as a, you know, in her 20s, 30s, she was on lithium. And it took six nurses all day long, every day, following her around to help regulate and monitor. And I think back to my 15, 16 year old body on doses of lithium that were so strong that there were times when I would go to say my own name and my name would come out of my mouth in a slur of jumbled consonants and vowels. And I was completely apoplectic. I was subject to tardive dyskinesia. My body would go into convulsions like a, like a Parkinson's patient. And it was just endless, endless, you know. I would, I would go into these spasms where I was swallowing my tongue and it was endless. And once I had to be brought back with an AED, whatever that was back in the day, machine. And, you know, just unbelievable experiences that, that felt so gigantic and so world exploding that the result of which created an edge my life has been defined, if you will, by my having this edge, the, the, the degree of aloneness that I had to face at a very, very, very early age. It is a miracle that I am as sound and intact emotionally, spiritually, psychologically as possible. But I attribute some of that to, I think, profound degrees of trauma can oftentimes give way to equally profound and high degrees of intuition. And I'm going to call intuition for me, spirit, 
essence. I recently have recognized that I suspect that I have a high degree of spatial intelligence. And I will say that it is a result, I posit that it's a result of the loneliness I was willing to face, the fear I was willing to face, the abject abandonment, the lovelessness that I experienced. So to recognize all of these compounded adverse childhood experiences as they are, yet to make room for the second and third order of consequences that no one prepared me for, I prepared myself for. And mostly because I have always felt that I'm worth it. I have always felt the truth of the truth, the depth, the width, and in some ways, the, the, the length of who I am. I haven't always understood it, but I've felt it. And to me, that felt sense of self is akin to being connected to spirit, being connected to the goodness of my own heart, the truth of my own heart. So it's interesting, Regina, and to take nothing away from the power of your story, your personal experience, nobody can know what it feels like to go through that but you. But the research is really clear for the most part about what happens to children exposed to trauma, particularly those who grow up in foster care settings. And many of these issues, as you know, are for, for many of them lifelong, long-standing, pervasive you mentioned a couple of phrases like knowing who you are, um, but I'm curious because you also mentioned, you know, compounding effects of trauma. What were some of the things you did specifically once you became an adult and were out of that system to move past the trauma and more into the space that you're in today? What I've done and this could just be a matter of semantics, whether it's moved past the trauma. I believe that I moved through the trauma. And I moved through it by slowing down. I've always engaged in imaginative play. So early on, intuitively, I imagined that loss, if loss could speak, what would the loss say? And I would learn to befriend certain feelings, certain moods. So if fear showed up, I would do my best to ask him, what, what, is, what, what do you want? Who are you? If you had a face, who, who, who do you, who, how, how do I recognize you? I've always had that capacity to be curious. I began reading about existential angst in my 20s, early, early 20s, Rollo May, all the different philosophers, because I wanted to understand what did it mean? What does it mean to be a sovereign being? What does it mean to have agency? What, what is that? And 
I wanted to know, I hear people talk about character being a virtue. I wanted to know, what does that mean? What, what, does, what does character mean outside of a movie or a book? Is character something I can, is it something that's ascribed or attained? And if it's something that's ascribed, who do I need to go to to get it? And if it's something that's attained, how do I attain it? So I began to explore and investigate the gateways, if you will, into being the best person I could be on my own terms, as opposed to being an unwitting victim who could only respond if that from or to the victimizer, the oppressor. And I learned very early on, probably because I identify as a Black woman, that as a result of the Wizard of Oz, and I will use that as a trope throughout this conversation, that what was fascinating about the Wizard of Oz because in a lot of ways, that movie became the watermark, if you will, for what was possible. Dorothy going unconscious. Ah, oh, maybe that's the subconscious. Maybe, maybe that's what this is about, is she's an orphan, and like me. And she's staying with her aunt and uncle. I've lived in kinship care for a while. And... She's trying to be seen in her because they're taking her dog and nobody gets it. Nobody's standing up for her. Nobody is coming to her aid. And when wickedness comes for her dog, she has to stand up to wickedness. She has to stand up to that which she doesn't agree with. And everybody else around her doesn't seem to have the courage, doesn't seem to have the heart, doesn't seem to, to know. And, and Toto being her, her light, her consciousness, Toto knows but everything else around her doesn't. And so I, I began to look at that as a trope through which, a framework through which I could view my own life. And so we go through the story. And then when she falls asleep, I know that in the greatest text of all texts, when the main character falls asleep, that's when the transformation occurs. And then it is from that awakening, that's what we all, you know, according to Buddhists, we want the enlightenment. And according to Christians, we, we want to be saved and forgiven and redeemed. And that's what Easter sort of signifies. So I looked at all of these religious rite of passages. And I thought, well, how, how can I create that? Just the poor man's version of personal transformation and enlightenment. And I think what got me was how Dorothy's heart, Dorothy's courage, Dorothy's passion, her light, her fire was always in these ruby slippers. And all she needed to do is click her heels. I said, okay, so what's my ruby slipper? And I recognized that home would always be everywhere I was. I can't control how someone sees me, how someone knows me, feels about me. I, can't, I couldn't control whether somebody wanted me in their home and didn't for the money for this or that. But what I began to know is that what it felt like to be inside of 
home. And what if where I am right now, which is everywhere I go there I am, what if home, what if that Wizard of Oz, what if this whole journey, this whole initiation called a spirit having a human experience, what if it's about going home to me? So my practice, I have been in therapy 40 plus years. It's the safest relationships I know where I can talk to people who talk to and with people who see me. You know? So I learned the value of that. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. You use such a beautiful analogy to the Wizard of Oz, and I know that all of this was really the backstory for for your book, Permission Granted, that this is what pushed you in that direction. And it's always great to know why somebody is writing the book that they're so passionate about. But I want to spend some time and dive into that book, because if somebody picks that book up and reads it, what are the things they're going to get? And your uh, your story, obviously, and it's powerful, but what what, what are they going to get? What are they going to learn? Anyone who gives themselves permission to pick up permission granted kick-ass strategies to bootstrap your way to unconditional self-love, they give themselves permission to go on an inner journey, not so unlike Dorothy. And they get to take a trip through the myriad of worlds via the strategies where In any of the strategies, they might find a moment, an impulse, where they meet themselves. And in meeting themselves, they can step into their own authority. They can step into their license to exist on their own terms. They can write their own map between one point to the next, navigate their own journey from one point to the next, no matter how short the distance, albeit the distance from their logic to their heart. In my case, it's 17 inches to connect and know what it means to live from love, the, the, the heart of emotional goodness. The question I have, you know, and I, I've had a chance to, to check this book out. In the intro, you're talking about an opportunity for the reader to self-parent. I'm curious as to you know, how you define that. It's so interesting that people 
land on that. I've had a couple of interviews where they, they hone in on that. I suspect to be nurtured by the good enough parent is a gift from the gods, to be the recipient of that, to be the beneficiary of the good enough parent, the, 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 the one who lets you fail so that you can learn and holds the space, the one who dusts you off when you fail to support you and the brain in building some neuroplasticity, building this idea that I have within me that which I need in order to regenerate, recuperate, rebound resilience. And the good enough mother doesn't overinflate, doesn't overvalue, doesn't undervalue. That the good enough mother is tender. The good enough mother is, you know, like Derek Winnicott says, right? She is that who holds the place for failure as well as can from a perspective, not allow that failure to turn into this perseverating type of self-punishment, self-defeat, self-abuse. But to say, oh yeah, you know what? I, I aimed for the sky, I landed in the clouds, and you know what? I'm good with that. The journey in and of itself was illuminating. So, I know in order for me to be here having this conversation with you and myself, I've had to reparent myself. I've had to, to break the shackles of the result of my parents' epigenetic fingerprints. I've had to be the one to decide it stops here. I have no idea other than I know my mother and I know her sister now. I have no idea from where we came from, from whom we come from. But what I do know is they've all suffered and their children have suffered. And now that I've reconnected with my mother's sister as a result of my mother, my biological mother passing this last January, I know that I have brothers and cousins whose lives have been shaped by the prison system. I know that I've lost relatives to the war on drugs. We could go on and on and on. So my family and the descendants of whomever we come from have played out the epigenetics of trauma, of loss, of abandonment, of abuse, of dysfunctionalism. So I knew that my life needed to be the life that not just says, no, I'm not going to do that to my child or children, but then to be exemplary of what it means to be a spirit having a human experience. So a good enough mother forgives. A good enough mother doesn't forget, but 
understands that in our common humanity, what links us is suffering. And what also links us is the ability for each and every one of us to be worthy of our own suffering, worthy of the profound loneliness that comes out of a life of living in 30 foster home, that comes out of a life of losing a mother far too young, of never having a father, of growing up in poverty, of never, ever, ever having enough education to close the gap on one's own illiteracy, to never learn the power or the capacity or the choice, have the choice of whether or not they can construct a sentence using white middle-class syntax. So a good enough mother prepares her child, her offspring for the best that the, that, that, that the world has to offer. A good enough mother rears her offspring to dream in equality. Powerful. I want to shift gears a little bit because there's so many different ways we could go as it relates to the book, but there's another one that really stood out to me and I'd love for you to take us through a bit of a dive. And one of the things that you'd offer in the book, you encourage the reader to stand in their dignity, stand in your dignity. Talk to us about that. That's kick-ass strategy number three. It starts on page 71. I mentioned Nelson Mandela until, and, and the epigraph that I use in Kick-Ass Strategy number three, I like to use two epigraphs sometimes. No power on this earth can destroy the thirst for human dignity, Nelson Mandela. And I think it's important for us to recognize what is ours and what isn't. And what I've learned is mine, all mine, all day long, any time of the day that I wanted, is this idea that this truth, not so much an idea, but a truth that I was born to certain inalienable rights. And those inalienable rights are to know who I am. So one of the inalienable rights is I'm worthy. Let's just begin there. I am worthy. Now, you can tell me I'm not. And then begin the fearful, annihilating journey of denying me, gaslighting me, making it your sole duty to force me to disremember and to be willing to be unaccounted for where even I forget my name, I forget my worth, I forget my value and my worth. And so in order 
for me to feel safe in the world. I'm going to ingratiate myself to all the isms, to the dominant narrative. And so then I'm going to take that in. And in order to be safe, in order to maybe not be seen, maybe, maybe it's not good to be seen and heard, although we all know, those of us who know, that that is one of the greatest, deepest human needs is to be seen and heard. But, you know, as Du Bois said in Double Consciousness, we, there's a veil. There's a veil that people who look like me, who identify as me, not as me, but as I do, there could be a threat. It could be, it could be bad. It could be life-threatening to be seen and heard. So then the question becomes, what am I willing to do in order to be who I am? What am I going to put at stake? Or do I have to put anything at stake? Or can I just, am I courageous enough to just show up? as a spirit having a human experience and know that it's right there, that where I am, my worth is, period. I'm no more worthy the lighter or darker my skin. I'm no more worthy the more European features I have or don't have. It's none of that, none of that. That's just constructed madness. But what if I embrace the truth of who I am? And that in and of itself is an act of resistance. That in and of itself is a, a risk I'm willing to take. That's what it is to stand in my dignity, is to take the risk. Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, we have very quickly come to the end of our time together. And I, I want to thank you for sharing with us a bit about your journey, a bit about your book. Uh, as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests a question, and that is, Regina, what is your biggest helping, that one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Wherever you are, love is. And I dare you to step into your own courage, your own definition of dignity, and invite love in and get acquainted with it on your terms. So well said. Regina, tell us where people can find you online and get their hands on your book, which is now available everywhere. I love being contacted via the real Regina Louise, R-E-A-L-T-H-E, rather, R-E-A-L-R-E-G-I-N-A-L-O-U-I-S-E at Instagram. My website is up and it is being reformulated because I am having to add so much of the info from the book into the site, but it's www.iamreginalouise.com. And again, my book, Permission Granted, Kick-Ass Strategies to Bootstrap Your Way to Unconditional Self-Love can be found at Amazon. Go to Amazon. <laughs> Perfect. And, uh, or go to the show notes at thedailyhelping.com if you're listening to this in your car. We'll have everything uh, Regina just shared with you 
in the show notes so people can link to that. Uh, Regina, thank you so much for coming on The Daily Helping. Uh, you're inspiring so many people, and I'm grateful that you came here to inspire us today. Thank you, Dr. Richard, and it is I who is grateful that you are willing to share your platform with traditionally and historically underrepresented authors and artists and writers such as myself. So thank you for being an ally. Absolutely. And for those of you listening, I want to thank each and every one of you as well. If you like what you heard today, go subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review because that's, that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today. Do something nice for somebody else. Even if you don't know who they are and post in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 